you are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. Elbow pumping, the only person who can't elbow pump today is Toby up here in the front. He's in crutches. Everyone else, get out of your way. Get out of your seat. Go elbow pump, people. For the children, if you are 11 years and younger, you are dismissed to go to kids' church. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, some of the adults are like, can I go play? No, you can't. Stay. <laughs> Stay. Isn't that beautiful? There's a sign right there. All the prophetic people saying, what does a butterfly mean? Why did he fly past a pastor? <laughs> Maybe God's saying something. Everyone else is like, well, it's a butterfly. <laughs> I am so glad that you can be with us this morning and celebrating. Uh, indeed, I just feel the presence of God in the place. And you know what it is that draws the presence of God? It isn't, the, it isn't what we're playing here. It isn't the instrumentalists. It isn't the singers. It isn't the PA and nothing like that at all. It's when people are desperate and hungry enough for God that they're willing to bang on the door on the doorpost of heaven saying, God, if you don't come, I, I just won't refuse. I refuse to leave this place until you come. There's got to be a desperation of the people, and God can't help himself. And I really felt that you were doing something this morning. We were breaking the doors of heaven. Man, if you can do that. Well, this morning, if you're new to Live City Church, I want to warmly welcome you. It's so great to have you with us fellowshipping today. And more than anything, really, if you were to ask me, what is the one thing, Pastor, you would love us to get out of coming to Live City Church? It's this, that you would experience Jesus. For some of you, it'll be something in the word that's spoken that's just going to just turn your world around 180 degrees. For other people, it'd be someone came up to you at the end of the service. Someone came up to you at the beginning of service and began to pray for you, and your world turned around. That's what church is all about. And I love the fact that we've got some folks on live streaming. Welcome. It's so good to have you guys with us this morning. But nothing substitute to face-to-face. So thank you so much for coming and making church so profound. If you've been coming to church for a few weeks, you know that I've just started a new series on the book of Jonah. There's four chapters. And I began last week, so if you, didn't, if you weren't here last week, just watch the broadcast. You can go to YouTube, you can go to Facebook. Uh, what you do is just go to our livecitychurch.com, uh, livecitychurch.com, and look on sermons or podcasts, and you'll find everything there for you to catch up. But today, we're going to continue on with chapter 2, and I would like you to turn with me in your Bibles. I didn't finish the last verse in chapter 1, so Jonah chapter 1. Now, most of you have smart devices while you're turning there and buying you some time. Back in the day, when I was growing up, there was no smart devices. You had Bibles. And they used to do Bible drills. How many people had Bible drills? You know what I'm talking about, Bible drills. Some of you guys don't have your hands up. You don't know what Bible drills are? Oh, you poor, deprived people. What we did, it was Sunday school, right? Even church, they did the same thing. You know, the pastor would say, turn with me to something. And the first person that got it would stand up and they'd throw candy at you. That's lollies, by the way. they throw lollies at you. You know, so everyone wanted to be the first to open up their Bibles and turn to it. Now we've got smart devices that ping, ping, dang, right there. 
So if, you're, if you are like under the age of 15, you probably already turned there. If you're over that age, you're probably still waiting to turn to Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Did I buy you enough time? Okay, we're together. <laughs> Everyone's like, he's talking about me. How did he know? Jonah chapter 1, reading from verse 17. Please follow with me in your Bibles. The Word of God says this. So let's lead up to that point. You see a rebellious prophet who doesn't want to do what God told him to do. We find out that God sends a storm. He is the cause of the storm. And when the sailors find out he's the cause of the storm, it's another story. Listen to the message last week. He says, throw me into the water. Throw me overboard. And they think, we can't do that. But in the end, they thought, we're dying here. So they threw him overboard instantly. The wind and the waves died down. Instantly, they began to worship the name of Yahweh. Remember, that they, they served pagan gods. For the first time, they realized, oh, my goodness, there's something about this God. But here's what happened to Jonah after that story. Follow with me, verse 17. But the Lord provided. Everyone say provided. See that word? It wasn't an accident. This is very, very strategic of the Lord. Did the whale magically appear that instant Jonah fell in the drink? Some of you are like, is this a trick question, Pastor? Because I'm usually, uh, uh, those of you that do like class with me realize this, sort of like, this is a trick question, isn't it? No, the whale did not magically appear, in case you're wondering. Some of you are like, oh, phew, that's what I thought. So it would stand to reason that maybe an hour, two hours, maybe days earlier, God had to call. So here's the thing. You're thinking it's a whale. It doesn't actually say a whale in the Bible. It just says a great fish. Could have been any type. But it makes sense to be a whale because they, are, they have to breathe air. They will keep coming up to the surface. So there's a volume of oxygen that comes in. So it stands to reason it probably is a whale, but we don't know for sure. All we know is it's a big fish. If it is a whale, the commentators say, it is not normal for whales to be in this region of the world. You find that interesting? You're thinking there's whales everywhere in that time period, you know? If I just jump over the boat overboard, a whale's going to come swallow me up. No. It is not normal for a whale to be in these part of the waters. Does that tell you something right there? The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Not chew on him, not mince on him. Again, it's probably a whale because whales have, don't have teeth as you would know them, right? They just sort of suck on plankton and things like that. So good thing it's a whale. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and Three nights. That's a long time. And this is where we're going to get into the text today. Read with me from chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed. Do you notice up to this point in time, there's been no prayer. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I call to the Lord, and he answered me. I want to tell you today that in your distress... Call to the Lord, and he will answer you. Why is it that as soon as you're in your distress, you are going to Facebook? As soon as you're in your distress, you go to your prayer closet. In your distress, I don't know what you do. Turn off all the lights, hide in the darkness to try. <laughs> it's a, in, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, assuming the fetal position, just rocking. At the moment, I'm, a, I'm also a bivocational teacher, and I'm trying to do curriculum writing. I'm trying to teach a cert three class. I'm trying to look out students. I'm trying to lead a church. I'm trying to organize a building. I'm oftentimes in the dark, just <laughs> in my feet. Oh, God. Oh, God, just come. 
From the depths, I've got to keep going on, I know. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Listen to these prayers. This is a man, it's just a man on his own. He is in distress. There's no lights inside this belly. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. By the way, a lot of these passages align with, other, uh, with the Psalms and some other passages of Scripture. In his prayer, he's actually praying Psalms. I want to encourage you, memorize the Word of God and use it in your prayer because the Bible says the angels are attentive to your word. So when you are praying the Word of God, the angels are attentive. And there he is praying the very words of Psalms and the other prophets. He said, I have been banished from your sight yet. How many people have been banished from the sight of God? You know, you've been naughty. Turn to the person next to you and look at them and say, I know you've been naughty. Turn to the other person and say, neighbor, I know what you did last summer. God knows what you did last summer. You said we're trying to be all prim and proper here in church. Holy. <laughs> we know who you are. See, some people, they don't come to church because they think all the people in church are perfect. Just look at the person next to you and say, mm-mm. <laughs> we are not perfect. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Some of you are like, is this true, Pastor? <laughs> you ain't perfect. Just maybe just tell the person next to you, you ain't perfect. I'm sorry, you ain't perfect. <laughs> so you know when Jonah's praying this prayer, you said the same thing, not in as many words, but you said, I've been banished from your sight. I've been so bad, God could never forgive me. Oh, have you had that one? Yet. I, I like that they didn't use the word but. It's something different. Yet. Everything he just said up to that point now changes. It pivots. He said, I have been banished yet. In other words, hang on, hang on, hang on. It doesn't end there. Some of you need to know this word yet. I have been banished yet. I have been banished but. I have been a very, very naughty person but. This is the hope that we have in the Word of God, that God is a God of second chances. And even though this prophet has been so bad, so naughty, disobeying the very Word of God, the Bible says, yet, I'm going to turn it around, I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep sea surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. I was caught up. I was sick. I was in the hospital. I was laid out in the bed. I was pronounced with this incurable disease. Here I am thinking I could never get out of this yet. Verse 6. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. you got to give a shout-out to the Lord right there. Because no matter how deep your pit is, the Bible promises us you can bring people out of the pit. This is another one, Psalm 40. You lifted me out of the miry pit, out of the miry clay. I will sing, sing a new song. Some of you YouTube fans are singing already, aren't you? Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, O Lord. 
and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Understand, when you pray, God hears your prayer. Some of you are thinking, but it just feels like an iron sky. It feels sometimes like my prayer is not piercing. It don't face, don't, don't pray based on appearances. Some of you are just waiting for something to change right now. I can't see it, Lord. I can't see it, Lord. God is always at work. Before you began to pray, he sent the whale days and days ago to a territory it never actually naturally resides in. Woo! Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Someone say that. Salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. Some of you, that needs to be a mantra as you are there rocked in your fetal position. Salvation comes from the Lord. You won't stay in that position very long. You can't help but stand up. You can't help but shout. You can't help but lift up your hands. Salvation comes from the Lord. Look at this, verse 10. It wasn't until he said those words, and the Lord commanded the fish. Did you, did you see that? God can tell a fish what to do, and it obeys him. That blows my mind. The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Recently, I went, my wife and I, we went to David's soccer end-of-year breakup. And so I uh, just happened to be that way. The ladies all gathered together. They're having their chat. And all the men, we got together, you know, and then do just chatting away with the boys. And then I saw this golden opportunity as we're sharing. I thought, I'm going to preach a gospel. Do you, do you do that? You look for the opportunity. You're sitting there, you think, I'm going to be here a few minutes. I may as well, let's just do it. You know, I might not see them again next year. They may not come back. I'm just going to do it. So I just started sharing with them, and somewhere along the way, they dropped the word atheist. I thought, I'll drop the word atheist. I said, I was an atheist when I was in my second year in uni. They said, really? What, you're like a pastor or something, aren't you? And so is the coach, by the way, senior pastor of a church in, in Ipswich. And so he was quiet the whole time, that turkey. Meanwhile, I'm just sharing away. But I thought, well, let's, let's just do this. And I thought it was quite an eloquent way. I was using logic after logic. And I'm like, uh-huh, you're right. That is crazy. Because I was saying things like, you got to have an incredible amount of faith to be an evolutionist. I said, what do you mean? I'm glad you asked that question. And I went right into it. I said, to believe that something came out of nothing, and you know that defies science, but you still will insist that it's true, but you know. And meanwhile, you're saying, you, you Christians, how can you believe, how can you be Christian and believe in science? It's one, not one the same thing. No, ours is. Yours isn't, because you believe stuff that is right off. It's, it's science fiction. It just doesn't work. And they were, I know, they're with me. They were clever arguments, but yeah. So they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then <laughs> one of them said, how do we know there aren't aliens? How, how did you bring that into what we're talking about? And then, well, how do we know aliens didn't create everything? How would aliens create this stuff? Unfortunately, our conversation shut down, and we couldn't continue. But I, I'm thinking, how crazy is that? Like, well, I wouldn't even think that. So I've got to prepare myself the next time that question comes up. But how 
zany and crazy are the stories we tell from the Bible. Yeah, there was this guy, he was an actual prophet who did nothing that God told him to do, did the complete opposite, did a 180, turned his back on God, tried to go the opposite direction. God sends a storm so bad the sailors and everyone realize we're going to die. That's a bad storm. And the sailors are saying that. I remember this one meme where it's, it's got this guy running, and he says, I'm a bomb expert. If you see me running, try and catch up. <laughs> You know, it's that kind of thing with the boat. You know, if the sailors are scared, you are in a big problem. That's a bad storm. And, that, and, then, and the only way to fix it was to throw the prophet overboard and the storm died. And by the way, a, a fish caught him in its mouth and rescued him for three days and three nights and then spat him on land. Tell me that's not a crazy story. So we got some pretty crazy stories in the Bible, and you're wondering why people are struggling to sort of understand what you're saying. It just is. I would not want to be in Jonah's shoes. The Bible says right at the beginning in Jonah chapter 1, it says, God commanded him not to speak to the Ninevites. It uses this word to speak against the Ninevites. I, I laid out this whole thing. The Ninevites were cruel, cruel people. You would not want to be in their presence. They collected body parts. What I didn't know, I read later, some of them actually wore the body parts like a necklace around themselves. They were so proud of the massacres and the victories that they had. They would word run proudly. They would put it on the doorposts of their houses all around the city. They'd pile up pillars of, of heads, right? Big pillars so that everyone knows Nineveh went through here. <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff. I wouldn't want to be preaching that, but he's preaching against the Ninevites. That's the command. So what would it look like, you know? What, what would he preach like? You are going to hell. You are wicked. You are a sinner. God will smoke thee. I don't think that'd go down too well with the people that collect head skulls and, and necklace and body parts. And so I can see why he did not want to go. Very interesting stuff. So I understand the struggle. I understand that God will ask you to do things that you're not comfortable with, but the thing is you cannot debate the instructions of God, but we do it all the time. Some of you are sort of like, oh, I'm going to wait on this one. You know what I'm talking about. The Bible says pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. How many people pray every day? Not for your food. Thank you, Lord, for this food. Bless your bodies in Jesus' name. But you don't, you don't pray, so the Bible commands you to pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. But we take it hard on Jonah. So, you know what I'm going to say here? Let's, let's, connect, let's give Jonah a little bit of peace, a little bit of room here, because we are just as disobedient as he is. But here's the thing I want you to understand. When God gives you an assignment, you're in the middle of a, uh, of a shopping center, a stranger sits next to you, you strike up a conversation, you realize, wow, this is too easy. Maybe, just maybe, God is in it. Maybe, just maybe, God set it up so that this guy sat next to you because he will never, she will never hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ until you open your mouth. We got two. Okay, we're working on it. Perhaps when God asks you to do something, heaven and hell hangs in the balance with God's divine appointments. That if you don't do what God asks you to do, this person can very well lose their eternity because you refuse to open your mouth. Oh, it just got real now. 
You're all very quiet now. It's sober. And now that you can relate to Jonah, his disobedience has resulted in him being tossed over the ship. By the way, it was still in the middle of the storm when he was tossed over the ship in the middle of an ocean. He's talking about your winds, your waves, and breakers washed over me. He is spinning around and around. The storm is just drowning this guy, and he says, there's no hope. There's no hope. In fact, there's no hope he had of ever reaching the shore. Why? When he said, throw me overboard, he had already decided in his mind, I have disobeyed the living God. He has come to bring judgment. It is the end of me. So when he said, throw me in the drink, he just couldn't face, didn't have the guts to stand up and throw himself over. He was going to commit suicide. So he decides, how about you, th- you throw me overboard because I just can't let go of this. <laughs> I'm not going to let go of this railing here. So you throw me overboard. So it was a mercy killing. Notice... Again, this is the first time the prophet prays. If we were to hold Jonah and bring him to court on the account of him being a prophet, would the evidence stack up well to prove that he was a prophet? Probably not. We find out Jonah doesn't pray. He is defiant. He is racist. He is disobedient to the God, that that's his whole mission. That's what a prophet does. You hear and you say, you do. And he's oblivious to the hurting people around him. He's sleeping while the sailors are fearing for their lives. He couldn't care less. He couldn't care less that thousands of people were going to die in Nineveh because it was all about him. Before we go too heavy on Jonah, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence from observing your life to prove that you are a Christian? <laughs> it just got real faster. Why did you do this? Let me give you, let's just change gear. Let me give you five lessons to, that we learn from prayers in the pit. By the way, if you're trying to give this sermon a title, I've got four different ones. You ready for it? I picked one, but prayers from the pit. I thought I'd just go with that because it sounds like puh and the puh. Prayers from the pit. How about this? Surrender. Surrender. Or how low can you go? I got another one. The pursuit of God. So for you scholars, that might sound a little bit better. The pursuit of God. (laughs) Five lessons from prayers in the pit. Here's number one. Don't mistake God's provision as a curse. The Bible says the Lord provided a great fish. But I don't want to be swallowed by a fish. I would rather an ocean cruiser with, you know, five-star with a cabin of my own. I want to have the deck, you know, the games that you play on the deck. I want to have all-you-can-eat buffet. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of, you know, salvation that I want. None of this stuff. In fact, to Jonah, it seemed like out of the frying pan. Oh, good, you know, I'm off the boat. It's all over. Oh, great, swallowed by a whale. (laughs) You know, out of the frying pan, into the fire. But isn't it interesting how the fire has a way of purifying impurities? The same God who provides the storm provides salvation. The same God who provides a storm, provides a way out. Because God is a God 
of second chances. If you forget everything I say today, write that down. God is a God of second chances. If you walk away from God, recognize that you did that, not God, but God is a God of second chances. I was reading the story of John Newton. I don't know if you know the story of John Newton. He was a slave trader, a wicked, wicked man. While later serving on the Pegasus, an enslaved person ship, a slave ship, Newton did not get along with the crew who, let, who left him in West Africa with Amos Clow, an enslaver. Clow made him a slave. The slaver became a slave, and Clow gave Newton to his wife, an African princess, Princess Pie, a royal who treated him vilely. If you watch a movie on John Newton, they sort of have this romantic thing. It was nothing like that. She treated him like a slave, vilely, as she did all the other enslaved people. So his father enlists the aid of a sea captain to rescue Newton, but on the journey, they hit a terrible storm. On the journey, the bottom of the boat, a certain section, is wide open, and the water is gushing in. And in that moment, John Newton remembers God. He remembers the way he grew up, and he begins to pray, Oh, God, save us! Save me! And accidentally, all the cargo shifted from one part of the boat into where the hole was and covered it, and they were able to be rescued. At that point, Newton gave his life to the Lord. And he went on to write a classic hymn that you all know, Amazing Grace. Would he have written Amazing Grace had he not been in the boat? Would he have written Amazing Grace had he not become enslaved himself? What lengths does God need to go to to bring you to the place where you can recognize who he is God doesn't make a mistake with his provision. Number two, this is the title that I also gave, second title, How Low Will You Go? He says in verse two, in my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. When you have hit rock bottom, there isn't <laughs> anywhere you can really go. There's not a lot that you can do. Why is it that we wait until we hit rock bottom before we call on God? Why is it that Jonah waited till now before he started to pray? Can I say this? Your fish belly can produce a right spirit before God. Notice it wasn't the storm that fixed Jonah's attitude. It was a fish. Perhaps like a child in the womb, he was inside that fish, God was forming a new spirit inside of Jonah. Isn't it interesting how the horrible times in our life produces the sweetest spirit? How low do you have to go before you turn back to God? Before you make him your number one priority above everything else? What kind of trouble does he need to send you away to get your attention? The Bible tells us the story of the prodigal son. If you don't know the story, a man had two sons. The man is symbolic of God. The younger son, the word prodigal, I thought it meant the returning son. No, the word prodigal means a person who does not know the definition of excess when you've had too much. They just more and more and more. He says to his father while he's still alive, I want my inheritance now. In other words, you're dead to me. I don't care about you. Give me my money. And he ends up going and uses the money for whoring and partying and all kinds of debauchery until all the money is gone until he loses his house, he, loses, he had, had no job, and now he's got no food and no friends. Why would you want to stick around with him? 
The father knew what was going to happen. He's a prodigal. He saw him grow up. Did the father do anything to stop his son from running out that door? No. The only time the father began to run towards the son was when he saw the son turn around and begin to come back. And what was the turnaround point? When the kid hit rock bottom. When he's so starving and has no money, no food, he's even looking at pig food, thinking, I could probably eat that just to fill the gap in my belly. What will it take for God to get your attention? At your lowest, call on him and God will come. Paul the apostle, who was Saul the zealot, murdered hundreds of Christians, confronted by Jesus and finally struck blind. God had to get his attention. Can you guess how many days he remained blind? Three. How many days was Jonah in the belly of the whale? Three. How many days was Jesus in the grave, his body? You see a little something going on here. Paul gives this incredible quote from all these experiences he's had. And he says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10, my, this is, he's quoting God, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think we've got the wrong idea of scriptures like that. For example, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He was talking about when I've been beaten, when I've been hungry, when there's been no food, I've been cast out, left for dead. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I wonder if there's a case here for the importance of brokenness. So precious to the Lord. Think about this. Jesus is perfect theology. When you see Jesus, you see God, God the Father. He's exactly the same. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 5. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We keep thinking that God, his whole, his whole desire is he's after the righteous. But the Bible tells us, Jesus, that that's not the case. God is after the sick. God is after the people who are not whole. God is after people who don't have their lives together. In fact, it's quite the opposite. If you think you have your life together, he's probably not that interested. Because you're so full of yourself, so full of self-righteousness, he can't help you. Let me give you a, something you might find interesting. How do you tend to a broken arm? If a person breaks their arm, do you know what the doctor does? He'll snap the bone right into place where it should be. Then he puts the arm in a cast. You get that, you get that idea? He restricts the movement of the arm so that he can heal. He takes Jonah in the belly of a fish where he can't move. And he's saying, weeds are wrapped around my neck. I can't move. I'm absolutely stuck. Sometimes God has got to pin you down to heal you. Someone write that one down. Lesson number three, God hears your cry. He said, in my distress, I call to the Lord, and he answered me. He goes again, I call for help, and you listen to my cry. You know what he says? 
from the depths of the grave I call for help. I had to look that one up. That word grave is actually the word Sheol. It's another word for hell. Some commentators believe and suggest that Jonah actually died in the belly of the whale. You think he was alive the whole time. It would appear, many of them believe, he actually died. He went to hell. He's calling out to God, and God rescues him and brings him back to life. Didn't Jesus said, you, you, know, uh, you uh, wicked generation, the only sign that I will show you, they were demanding a sign and a wonder. He said, the only sign I'll show you is the sign of Jonah. What was the sign of Jonah? In the belly of a fish. For three days. Jesus died for three days. So it would appear he actually died. Jonah didn't know that his actions were going to result and his turnaround, this prayer, was going to be so important that Jesus himself will quote the book of Jonah. He will quote Jonah's own words. Isn't that crazy? Think about this for a moment. Your suffering, your challenges, your hardship, where you are crying tears upon tears upon tears, God is remembering, writing it down. He's going to use it at another time. He's waiting for your turnaround. The Bible says, Psalm 56, verse 8, you collected all my tears in your bottle. You recorded each one in your book. What kind of God does that? Records your tears. I can't remember. I mean, I don't cry a lot. When I cry, it's, it's too late. It just keeps coming and coming. So, it's in, so it makes up for lost time, but I don't usually cry. My, my wife is a very emotional person, as all ladies are, and you know, if I, I couldn't count the tears. I couldn't count the tears. There's so many tears. The Bible says he records each one in his book. That blows my mind. God is so interested in your hurt. He's there for you. He really does care that it's actually written. Every, every tear is recorded. Every reaction that you have is recorded. God hears the cry of the hurting. Here's another one. God hears the cry of the wayward person. This is a backslidden prophet. I want you to know that if you're waiting to be good enough before you follow God, you're <laughs> waiting a long time. You'll never be good enough. He's good enough. And the Bible says he loves us while we're still sinners. In fact, here's the thing I want you to get from this. It is brokenness that God desires from us. As long as we're arrogant thinking we got it all, it's okay. I may decide to go to church today. I may decide to read the Bible. God, you're lucky I came today. You're welcome. I think it's probably not the right attitude. <laughs> Jonah acknowledges the handiwork of God. You hurled me into the sea. It's an eloquent prayer, but actually God didn't hurl him. He got men to do it for him because he was such a coward. But it's in these difficult moments that God does his best work. I teach a Certificate three Ministry in Theology in the school where I teach at. And it was interesting. We had our very last class on, on Thursday. And all the students started with one, and they all began talking about it. They said it was so much work. It was so hard. And we loved every minute of it. At first... One was saying, I was going to quit after about the fourth week, been reading the Bible daily because that was a requirement, and we had to journal once a week. But my life changed at about that fourth week point. I realized I am not the same person I was when I first started. There's something precious about hardship. 
there is hope for those who turn their back in, on God, no matter how depraved. Second chance. Number four, I'm going to go real quick. Embrace grace. Verse 7, he says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, O Lord. My prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. This reminds me of times in the past when I've preached the gospel and the person I was sharing with rejected the word. They did not want to go through with the whole thing. And I've given up on that. I don't try and press the point until, you know, it's not a successful mission until, no, no, the Bible says just cast the seed. Just sow seed. In fact, the Bible says God cannot be mocked. What you sow is what you reap. So I can't reap something I didn't sow, so I need to just sow. All I'm doing is just sowing. I'm going to sow. Someone else is going to tend to it. Someone else will reap. But I'm also going to reap a harvest that someone else planted. Does that make sense? Someone else planted. So I'm going to keep reaping. I'm going to keep sowing. I'm going to keep sowing. And I tell them this at the end. Can I just ask you one thing? At the point when you're on your deathbed, remember the words I've told you. Cry out to God because he's a God of second chances. Jonah makes this profound statement. He says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. What he's saying is this. As long as you hold other things dear and precious, as long as you hold other things more important than you hold God, and the things of God, the place of worship, the place of prayer, as long as you do that, you are neglecting Him. Oh, but I needed time with my family. I, I needed time to, uh, you know, my, my work is demanding. I had to, as long as you put, I'm talking about a long term, not once in a while. When you see yourself, a pattern is emerging. Spending all your time at work, you can't even bother to give a couple hours to the Lord on a Sunday. Just one part of your week to say, you alone are God. I will go and bring myself to the house of God. Better one day in the, uh, in the house of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to feast in the tents of the wicked. Until that point, you're neglecting him. And this is a word for it today, an idol. You're making an idol of these things. For some of you, it may be career. For some of you, it may be your car has become your idol. Perhaps for some of you, it's footy or cricket or some other sport. For others, it's the pursuit of wealth that drives them crazy. Thinking about it, I've got to make the sale. I've got to make the sale. I've got to make sure I do this. And for some, their idol might even be their own family. Oh, but I had to go away. I need to take my family. I got to. You couldn't do it after church. You couldn't do it in another time. You couldn't do it on Saturday. Jonah is calling out. When you make other things more important than God... You will miss out on a lifetime of grace. What's grace? Unmerited favor, unexpected blessing. Things you did not deserve are falling into your lap. I could tell you story after story of the graciousness of God, but for the sake of time. Let me finish with the fifth and final point. Worship God with what you have. Sometimes people struggle to worship God because they don't feel they're good enough. Sometimes they don't worship God because they don't feel righteous enough. Some feel they can't worship God, they can't pray because they're not Bible smart enough. And the list goes on. There's always an excuse. Picture Jonah. 
seaweed around his neck, this water dripping. He's wet for three days and three nights. He is constrained. It is darkness everywhere, darkness, complete and utter darkness. He can't move. He can't even strike a match to light a fire. There's no flashlight. There's no smartphone. He is stuck in absolute darkness. He cannot move. He is hit rock bottom. There's nothing else left to offer. Jonah offered what little he could. I can't move. I can't stand. I can't even sit up. I can't raise my hands. But this one thing I will do, he says. I will sing songs of salvation. Can you imagine this guy? He's in the belly of a whale, confined, can't move, seaweed around his neck, and he decides, God, I just want to give you something. I love you so much. I thank you for your salvation. As a sign of my appreciation, I want to sacrifice something to you, something meaningful, the only thing I can give you right now. And he begins to sing. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. That's all he can offer. I have breath in my lungs. That's good enough. I'll use that. Can I raise my hands? I will do that. Can I sit up? I will do that. I believe that if he could stand up, he would have been dancing and singing and hollering because it's the salvation of God being rescued out of hell, out of the kingdom of darkness, and into the kingdom of light. It reminds me of the story of Paul and Silas who were beaten, blood just running down their back. They were actually stuck in the deepest part of the dungeons, dark and dank and smelly, completely dark, in chains and also in stocks and bonds. They couldn't move at all, and they decided... We can't raise our hands. We can't stand up. We can't dance to worship God. But I'll give what little we have. We're going to sing. The Bible says that God caused an earthquake that broke off all the chains, not of just Paul and Silas, the entire prison. The doors flung open. All the chains fell off. That's got to be a severe earthquake. For Jonah, the whale spits him out. How low will you go before you listen to the Lord? What will it take to get your attention? What's in your hands right now that you can use to worship him, to sacrifice to him? Jonah didn't know what would happen next. As far as he knew, to my dying last breath, I will sing because that's all I got. I will sing praises to my God. Salvation is from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. It was at that moment of change that he was delivered. Why don't we stand to our feet as I close this morning? The Bible says in verse 10, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You notice that God did not deliver Jonah when he was on the deck of the boat in the middle of a storm. You notice that God did not deliver Jonah while he was scrambling about drowning in that water. He didn't deliver him. But God delivered him after he had been confined in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights until repentance and remorsefulness at sin had finally set in. 
I want to tell you today, you might be in a prison of unforgiveness. You might be in a prison of debt. You might be in a cycle of poverty you can't seem to get out of. You might be in a cycle of abuse. You might be feeling like a failure, feeling like your best years are behind you. But can I tell you right now, God is a God of second chances. Can I invite you right now to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? There's a very profound presence of God right now. The Lord has been speaking to someone, I know. There are things being chipped away in your heart right now, hardness of the heart that God was chipping away this morning. In fact, it was a way of thinking that you felt justified and righteous, and the Lord has begun to address that. He's saying, it's time, son. It's time, daughter. Turn around. Turn around. As I look around this place this morning, Perhaps this is the first time that you've understood the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You thought you weren't good enough. Perhaps you thought that you'd never amount to anything. Perhaps you thought, I am trapped in my prison, and I will never get out of this prison. I guess this is the way it is, but God knows you and has spoken out. He's saying, it's time to come home. I'm going to pull you out. For some people right now, they believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is like being thrown into a sea, a sea of sin where you are drowning and you can't swim. You are gulping, trying to breathe in air, but you know you are dying. You know ultimately you're going to die, and it is hopeless, and this God is watching you as you drown, and when you finally die, he says, you're going to hell. That is not the picture of the God that we serve. The God that we serve is a person that comes alongside of the boat. He says, hey, buddy, can I help you? I can see that you're drowning. I can see that there's no way out. But that person that's swimming is saying, no, I don't need your help. I don't want you. I'll just do this on my own. But you can't swim. I don't care. I don't want you. God is not going to move that boat from me because he wants to give you an opportunity. This morning, this might be the first time you've understood the message of Jesus Christ. Maybe this is the 10th or 20th time, but the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart. And he's saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He would open the door. I will come in. Thank you for joining Life City Church. And we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at livecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.